You're listening to The Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore. We welcome Dr. David Wintner to the program, faculty advisor at the Utica College Center for Historical Research. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Good to have you on the program, Dr. Wittner. And I guess the first question is kind of an obvious one. Uh, Your faculty advisor, Utica College Center for Historical Research, what is that? Uh, Well, actually, I'm not the faculty advisor. I'm the director of the Center for Historical Research. Uh, And the Center for Historical Research is a standalone entity on campus that promotes uh, the study of history. We try to support it as best we can with a limited budget. Um, But we really focus on uh, bringing historians to campus, basically, you know, getting our students and the community involved, learning the history of not just Mohawk Valley and Central New York, but also uh, the United States and, you know, the rest of the world, for that matter. How long has there been uh, the Center for Historical Research? Uh, It is was founded in 2000, uh, but it never really had a permanent home until 2012, at which point it be- my office and my faculty office and the center became one and the same. Hmm. Uh, and since since 2012, we've become very active with uh, you know our, our different uh, programming and st- things like that. Hmm. Has Utica College historically been known for uh, history studies? Yeah. Um, History is one of the original departments on campus. As I'm sure you know, Utica College was founded in 1946, and we were one of the founding departments. Uh, it's always been a very strong program. Uh, the number of faculty's kind of gone up and down. We're kind of in the middle right now. It was at a high of seven at one point, and we've got four historians presently. We're always looking for more. But, um, you know, it's, it's one of those programs, kind of like government and English, that kind of ebbs and flows with people's beliefs and, you know, how valuable a liberal arts education is. Mm. Well, well, there's a, there's a point. I was going to ask you about it at, at some uh, spot in the, in the interview. Who is it that takes history as a, as a major these days? Um, it really varies. Uh, our core has always been uh, students who want to become social studies or history teachers. Uh, there's at one point that accounted for perhaps 70% of our students. Uh, that's that number has dropped, and they're probably about half of our students. Uh, students who want to go into government, um, who want to go into law, um, you name it, they become history majors. A lot of students take history just because it's a subject they've always loved, and uh, they're not particularly associating history with a career, although some do. Um, we have a number. Of, every year, we'll graduate a student or two who go off to graduate school to get PhDs and become historic, you know, practicing historians, whether it's on the academic side or the public side. Um, but really, anybody who uh, history as a major is good for anything where your um, your undergraduate degree is not your professional training. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you wanted to be an accountant, you really need to be an accounting major because you need to have um, a, I, th- I believe it's 24 courses or credits, 24 credits to sit for the CPA exam. So you'd want to be an accounting major, but you know there's more Fortune 500 CEOs who were history majors than any other major. Mm-hmm. So it's a valuable major, and students I think realize that. Well, that's a good recommendation. The um, thing we've noted, or I've noticed, you know, doing this program and being involved primarily in really local local history. Mm-hmm. Um, 
In fact, one of the pa- the paper that I write for down here, the Daily Gazette, did a story about young people who are becoming village historians, town historians, things like that in our area. And I did a program where I interviewed two of them, Eddie Watt in the town of Palatine and Abby Kretzer in Ephrata. And they have this history background from college, they're, but and they're doing what traditionally has been a role that I don't know for their grandmothers and grandfathers to be yeah. the <laughs> town his, historian wherever they are. And what what, what I notice about that, and there's another name uh, down here who's prominent in that, a fellow named Ryan Whites, who I believe mm-hmm. became the town historian of Fultonville. But they're young folks, and they aren't necessarily going to follow this as a career, but it's something they're doing maybe when they're just out of college before they get established in whatever it is they're doing. Yeah, well, as I said, you know, history, it's, I mean, it's, as you obviously know, it's interesting. Um, And a lot of students, a lot of young people are drawn to it. They just don't know what they can do with it. And so I, you know, one option is to kind of to go the public history route and become a town historian. Um, And yeah, you are, you are right that it's definitely that kind of associated with their grandparents. Um, but it's it's a great – for many, I think it's a good stepping stone as well, if, especially if they're going to – they're going to have to get a graduate degree at some point if they want to go on and um, beyond that level. But it's a great opportunity for them. And one thing they're doing, and, and your program at the Utica College, I, I believe, is involved in this also – is that you're bringing the, the study of history, local history, into the digital age. For example, you yes. have blogs, uh, pe- your students blog about history. Mm-hmm. We have, a, um, a, we have a, a history blog called Musings from the Mohawk Valley. Uh, my senior intern, Nolan Cool, started that um, several months ago. And uh, what we do is, it's, it's frankly open to anybody to write for. So it's not it's not necessarily UC faculty or students, anybody from the community. Um, you know, this, this month's blog was published by a, a student who's a, a government major. Um, you know, and the previous month was also not history major. But um, it's an opportunity. Most of them are local. Some are not. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't have to be um, Mohawk Valley history, although we'd like it that way. Uh, but it gives students an opportunity to write as historians uh, and look into some aspect of central New York or Mohawk Valley history and uh, get it out there for the public in a kind of an informal way. Mm. And you're indicating that uh, Mohawk Valley history or New York history is one of the focuses at the Utica College program? Yes. Um, we In several, several dimensions, one with the history department itself, um, our students are required uh, – in their junior and senior years to become working historians. Uh, and we have them do original research uh, in local history. And I think you, you, you actually mentioned in, in an email a few of the paper titles. And what that we do is we turn them loose in the archives. We give them, they're trained first, and then we turn them loose in the archives. And the professor, this is called the History Project, the professor who's supervising the class uh, selects a, th- a theme for the class, and students select their individual topics, and uh, they do original, as I said before, original research on, research in local history, um, and turn up some fantastic stories uh, that you know most people are completely unaware of. Mm. Um, my last class, I think the shocker for the for the session was um, a paper looking at um, the Ku Klux Klan in the Mohawk Valley in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you know some 
local folks might know the history of it, but most were in, were in shock when they discovered that all of the towns up and down the Erie Canal, uh, and then some, had you know their own clan chapters. Uh, and then you know this, the history of you know labor and strikes in this area, is, I think, is pretty well known. But you'll find some of the students are able to dig a lot deeper than. Uh, some of the histories that have already been written and come up with some really fantastic uh, information about these. It, it seems uh, to me, or I mean, you know, there's be an opinion that when you think about history in the Mohawk Valley, you know, rightly so, a lot of focus is on the history of long, uh, you know, for us long ago, uh, mm-hmm. during the, the colonial period and into the American Revolution when uh, th- this area was a big a part of the American Revo- Revolution. But what I find in writing the local history column, which I do, and what these students are doing, I, I find there's more int- often more interest in some of these things that are closer to home or closer to us in time. Yeah. Um, typically, when I supervise the class, I don't limit the time period. I did one. I, one, of, one of them, I kind of I locked it in at the, the Roaring Twenties. But the first one I actually did with the students, I gave them a... Uh, a title to work with, which was building the Mohawk Valley, and they could do anything with that. And so I had papers that started from, you know, were colonial era running right up to, you know, the 1970s, uh, once with one student looking at the um, kind of the centennial and bicentennial celebrations of the Battle of Oriskany. Um, but uh, yeah, the, a lot of students, they, they think of 19th century history and 18th for sure as ancient, uh, so they, there's a lot of interest. There's become uh, there's kind of a renewed interest, I think, in more recent history. Um, you know, there's World War II seems to be, you know, a, the war, Civil War, World War II are always rather popular. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, there's students who've been looking, for example, one of the last papers that was done was um, a student looking kind of at the history of Boonville uh, and uh, deindustrialization with um, Ethan Allen moving out and what that did to the what that did to the town or the city, um, and others looking, for example, at, you know, at education, at big money in education, uh, you know, rather recent stuff. Mm. So yeah. Well, for example, uh, the the Boonville story. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I took a note on that, looking at some of the your, your material online, Boonville and globalization. For example, I I mean, I just wasn't really aware of that. You know that. Yeah, uh, neither was I. <laughs> yeah, the, what the Ethan Allen had a factory up there. Is that? Mm-hmm. Yep. From what I gather, I didn't know any anything about this when I heard the paper. I was I got my education. Um, <laughs> you know, from the student. And, uh, yeah, I guess they had a factory up there with, uh, that had, you know, a multi-million dollar expansion. And, uh, I subsequently kind of poked around a little bit and discovered, you know, the state, uh, provided some nice subsidies to, uh, to Ethan Allen. And, uh, it was about five years later, they closed the plant and shipped everything off to China. Hmm. And, uh, actually from what I gather had to pay the largest fine, uh, for, you know, abandoning the city uh, to the state. You know, basically had to pay a huge fine to the to the to the state, uh, giving back some of their um, kind of the subsidies they'd received, and then a penalty on top of that. And Boonville is a village, is it not in the in the Adirondacks? Correct. Yes, I, th- I guess it's. I'm not sure if it's in the Adirondacks or just at the edge, um, but it's you go up Route uh, 12, and Boonville's right up there. Mm. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty little town or city. Um, it's where they they have the uh, uh, what is it the log the Woodsman Field Days are up there. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but it's, it's a great little town. And backing up to something you mentioned already, what else can you tell us about the Ku Klux Klan? And maybe it's kind of an opinion on that. I mean, people, you know, you know, maybe it seems are, are happy to um, tell stories about how the Underground Railroad was in operation here in the Mohawk Valley, but maybe not so happy to talk about the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah, no, this was, um, it was interesting because when the student was doing the research on this project, uh, a lot of people were kind of really hesitant to talk. Uh, one of the historical societies that has um, clan records, you know, basically clan membership records, uh, didn't want the student to copy them uh, because, you know, that there are still families who live here who are descendants of clan members. That was the fear. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, there were essentially every small town and city and, frankly, large town uh, throughout central New York um, had clan chapters. There was um, a lot of, you know, there's a, there's a pretty well-known book about the clan uh, in the Niagara region uh, and in Buffalo, but there was also a lot of clan activity in Binghamton and same up here. And if you uh, if you browse the newspapers from the late teens to the early 20s, you'll very often see, um, you know, mention of various clan, of, of clan activities, and especially some of the local papers, you know, the kind of the little mm-hmm. non, non-OD type papers, uh, you'll see there's a, a lot of membership, you know, a lot of discussion of what goes on, uh, but they were fairly active, uh, and it was, but it was not, um, you know, we, we typically associate the clan with uh, lynchings of African Americans in the South, in the North, it was more, and, and especially in the 20s, it was more an ethnic thing. It was against Italians, Jews, uh, Eastern Europeans. Mm-hmm. Also, one of the student papers that I saw referenced online uh, talked about the corporatization of education, how big money corporations are destroying the teaching profession in Gloversville and New Hartford, New York. I know Gloversville yep. uh, down in uh, our area, and New Hartford is kind of, I always thought it was kind of a suburb of Utica. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right next door. Uh, yeah, this was this was a really fascinating paper. Um, you know, what the student has basically come, found out uh, is, you know, I guess he started because he wants to be a teacher, uh, and he's actually going to start student teaching in the fall, um, but that essentially you have one or two big companies like Pearson Education that uh, essentially control the textbook market, that control the tests, uh, you know, that the students are taking. And so they they essentially have both sides of the equation and uh, essentially get to direct what happens with American education. You know, it's, I don't want to, it, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theory, but to read the paper, um, you really almost begin to think that there's a, you know, there is some kind of a conspiracy going on. Uh, you know, the, there's a lot of ties to what's going on in, in the in government. You know, in in federal level government. Um, you know, with No Child Left Behind, and now Common Core, uh, and so all of this is kind of getting tied together through um, through companies. Mm. Well, they're was... uh, controlling our educa- system of education, which is, frankly, it's pretty scary. Well, I remember that name because I used to be an adjunct at the College of St. Rose in uh, mm-hmm. Albany, and it seemed to me our, some of our textbooks came from Pearson. Yeah. Yep. How about yes, you? <laughs> um, 
not for my classes, but yes. <laughs> and it's it's not a uh, it wasn't a political choice. It just happens to be not. They don't have anything in the subject I teach that I'm, I was wanted to use. Huh. But um, yeah, it's a uh, it, it it's it is kind of scary what's going on with education these days. And another uh, student paper, and then maybe more on the program. Uh, it was titled "Superheroes of the Mohawk Valley," it, but it it seemed to me, just sort of glancing over it, that it had to do with the, the awakening of, uh, of transgender people as a as a civil rights cause. Or am I? Uh, yes, that making... was um, yeah. The, the superheroes of the Mohawk Valley. That was the that's the that was the title of the symposium, and of the volume of the history project. One thing I forgot to mention was that um, the best papers that come out of this class are published in a journal called the History Project. And so our students have this an opportunity to be published as as undergraduates, which is very mm-hmm. unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the paper that uh, that you mentioned, it's the the title of it is actually is um, Fairies, Fury and Freedom, the Struggle for LGBT Equality in Central New York. Um, that, to be honest, is an absolutely amazing paper because it's something you don't typically associate with this area or hear about. Um, it's always a downstate, you know, it's, oh, it's, it's all New York City. Um, but there's, um, there's a, there was a very active LGBT community and civil rights movement uh, in central New York, uh, and especially in the Utica, um, and that, you know, took place between the community, uh, activists on college campuses, not just Utica College, but Hamilton as well, and I think some of the uh, uh, community colleges. Um, and this is this is actually some of that. It comes into the more recent history that you you'd mentioned that students are finding attractive because uh, it's you know a story of the 1970s and 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, part of what we're doing with bringing um, you know history to, into the digital age here at the center is. Um, you know, is we do we have this digitization project, which I'll be happy to talk about more. But some one of the collections we have uh, really shows this whole trend of grassroots activity and you know grassroots organizing and um, civil rights movements in the in the Mohawk Valley and in Utica through um, you know like the National Organization for Women, uh, you know, an abortion league, um, and so this this was this is an area that has. Um, a really strong history of civil rights uh, that goes far beyond. And you know, everybody just everybody knows the area for abolitionism, mm-hmm. uh, but it's those roots have continued uh, to the present day. Frankly, mm. Dr. David Whitner with us. He's director of the Utica College Center for Historical Research. Well, uh, tell us more about the uh, digitization program. Okay, great. It's um it's called the Digital History Project. Uh, it's it's been going on now for two and a half years, uh, possibly three. We're just we're, yeah, we're starting our third year. Um, it starts from the belief that the people of the Mohawk Valley are its history, and what we do is we get documents, any anything that you can frankly digitize, which is basically anything from papers and photographs to physical objects. Um, we digitize them, catalog them. Uh, create metadata and then mount them up on the website of, of uh, NewYorkHeritage.org, uh, and we're creating a digital archive uh, of Mohawk Valley history, and it's it's a fantastic project. It's public; everything is free and publicly accessible. Let's say you know you wanted to share your family's 
history with us, and so you could give us, you know, your, it's, it's, I shouldn't say give, you lend us your photo albums, and it could be, you know, your dad's uniforms and medals from, you know, World War II, what have you. Um, all of that stuff is digitized. Uh, we returned it all to you, and um, with a, and then you get it, you also get a digital copy, but then all that is put up online, mm. and uh, somebody doing research on the area can find this stuff. It's it's all Google searchable, um, or you could go directly to the New York Heritage website, which has um, hundreds of collections like this that different schools have put up in different libraries, organizations, uh, and uh, you know it's it really contributes. It really kind of makes local history more rich. Mm-hmm, yeah. uh, you know, there's, there, there are people, there's names, there's photos. So, you know, the, the local history becomes really important. Um, and we just don't do family histories. Genealogists love this, by the way, but we don't just do the family, family histories. We're also um, involved with some organizations, like we've, we've been doing uh, photographs and papers and charters from the Boy Scouts, the local, ch- the, uh, Right now, it's just become the Leatherstocking Council, but um, the Boy Scout from Boy Scout headquarters in Utica. Um, going back, we've scanned stuff that goes all the way back to the 20s. Um, we've done a good pile of stuff from the Utica Zoo. Uh, we've actually entered into a um, into collaboration with the Museum of American Finance down on Wall Street, and because they've got a fantastic collection of Erie Canal. On Black River Canal um, financial documents, um, stocks, bonds, things like that, as well as some of the early railroads in this area. And you know, this is the kind of the this area was kind of the origin of railroading. Mm-hmm. And so they've got oh, probably close to a hundred um, items that are gonna that we're gonna put up in our collection um, because they don't they don't have a digital project like this. And so for them, it's a wonderful way to get their you know, get public exposure for their collection. Sure. And this way people can use it, which is the idea. I mean, archives and museums love for people to, you know, use their collection. So this is one way to do it. Now, and this is bigger than Utica College, it certainly sounds like. What is what is the New York, it's newyorkheritage.org? What is that? Yeah. Newyorkheritage.org is an organization. Um, I should look this up to get it absolutely straight, but it's it's based on a libra- library consortium. Uh, and it provides people with the opportunity to look up and also get uh, this information online. It's essentially, it's, it's a huge digital archive. Yeah. Well, this is uh, Uh, tremendous, you know, and again, it was something I wasn't aware of, but I, I must say I've been doing this history column for the Daily Gazette for 15 years. And in recent years, the amount of material that you can get online really has added, dare I say, kind of a richness to these columns that I've been doing. You can, If you work at it, you can find out all kinds of stuff from uh, daily newspaper records and, you said, like the mm-hmm. Chronicles of the Boy Scouts and whatever. We don't like to get stuff. We, we, what we don't scan as newspapers um, because, as, as you know, they're, relative, you know, they're you know, very available. But, yeah, like New York Heritage Collection site, it's, to be, I have to give them their full credit. It's Empire State Library Network is who it's through. Um, but they um, essentially they've created this portal uh, for anybody who's interested in the history of New York. Mm-hmm. And they provide us with the ability and um, basically all these different institutions, um, the ability to join in and start 
you know, creating this huge digital archive. And yet you, you're absolutely right about the richness that you get from this. Mm. Um, you know, just the, the amount of information that's available on the Internet, um, you know, from between the time that when, well, when I started as a historian, um, which was not that long ago, uh, you couldn't get anything like this online. No. Um, they, frankly, we still had card catalogs, although they were phasing them out. <laughs> but um, and now, you know, the, 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 what almost becomes a problem is that you know students can sit there in their rooms and do ninety percent of their research or eighty percent without ever leaving. Uh, and so they sometimes they you know we they have to go to the archives for, with us. Because uh, otherwise they miss out on that experience, and there's always something that's in, that's not online. Sure, sure. But, yeah. Well, we have just a few minutes uh, left. Uh, you said that this uh, program, uh, the Center for Historical Research, you do talks. And I think you do teacher training. Uh, can you mm-hmm. do you have some talks coming up? Um, for this year, no. We, we finished out. We finished out the uh, our year. Um, our different series are you know our, our series go follow the academic year and this academic year is basically winding out um but it's picking up in the fall it's this this on the second wednesday of each month that school is in session we have something known as the brown bag talks and these are it's 12 30 uh in you know the uh the de ross family dining room but it's a these are informal talks where it could be UC faculty um, or I bring in historians from around the state, very often from Syracuse University, uh, and we'll present anything from a work in progress to a completely polished presentation. Uh, and the idea was to initially was to get students involved in the community involved. These are everything we do is basic is typically free and open to the public. These are. Uh, and it's an it's an opportunity for our students and for members of the community, not only to see what historians actually do, um, but learn some different history because it is what we do is in in these talks is really global, whereas a, where a lot of it's American history. Um, we've had talks on uh, Chinese history, Japanese history, um, several European history papers, some a uh, couple from the Caribbean. Uh, so it's it's all over. Um, but it, it's a fun way to spend an hour, eat your lunch, and you know get an interesting talk. Uh, we also have um, do four different History Month celebrations. Uh, in the fall is LGBT history and Native American history. That's October and November. And then in the spring we have um, Black History in February and Women's History in March. And these talks are also free and open to the public and followed by a reception. But we'll you know. Uh, very, we'll typically bring in a, um, a well-known historian who's a specialist on that area, and you know, it's it's we tend to do things pretty informally here. Uh, so it's a, a talk. Um, certain we actually have this very often. We'll have the the speaker ha- for dinner, and students and faculty can you know get a chance to meet with them beforehand. They sh- they give a talk. There's always a long question and answer session, and then you can sit down and have a cup of coffee and you know a cookie. Mm-hmm. Uh, afterwards, um, we also have something we call the At Series, which are a series of commemorative um, symposia. Uh, this past year was, or actually this academic year, we did um, uh, the Voting Rights Act at 50. Um, mm. The year before, it was World War One at 100. We had uh, Gettysburg Address at mm-hmm. 150. And these are day-long symposia 
Uh, we start around 8.30 in the morning with breakfast, and we it's different from a regular conference where you'd have you know, panels of, of people talking for 20 minutes and kind of talking at the audience. What we do is we select half a dozen, you know, mm-hmm. prominent scholars who, and I should, that's in, in all fairness, and prominent and or upcoming scholars, okay. um, you know, who are experts on some aspect of what that what the year's and, theme is. And Dr. Whitner, I'm off the side. We're running out of time. Uh, Dr. David Whitner telling us all kinds of things about the Utica College Center for Historical Research, where he is director. What's the basic uh, website uh, for Utica College, I presume? And I imagine people can get to you through that. Yep, it's www.utica.edu. And for us, just add slash chr. Thank you very much for joining us. This has been the Historian's Podcast.